The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Welcome along to another episode of Talent Talk Asia podcast, another dose of motivation, inspiration, tips and compelling stories of talented people sitting in Asia. I hope you get a lot out of today's episode. It was so much fun to record hearing stories from someone that has been around the block and he dispels a few rumours about Faden. Before I get going with today's episode, I want to thank you for all of those people out there that have rated our previous episodes. It might seem a small thing to you, but it actually means a great deal to me. For me to deliver this content every fortnight for free, ratings and reviews are so important. If you can take a few minutes to rate and review on whatever platform you use, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, it really does help. Also, do check out our Talent Tip Tuesday series featured on YouTube, where I tackle a recruitment challenge every fortnight. So today I'm joined by Andrew McNeilis, Managing Director, Asia-Pacific for Faden International. Now, it's the parent company of five specialist recruitment brands, and those are Selby Jennings, DSJ Global, EPM Scientific, Glowcoms and LVI Associates. Now, Andrew shares his experiences starting out as a captain for the Duke of Wellington's regiment inventory in the UK before he embarked on a global career in in recruitment where he worked for the likes of Adeco, Resource Solutions, Hudson's and Talent2. Now, Andrew is a natural storyteller. You'll be captivated by what he's experienced working across the globe for some of the most well-known recruitment players of our time. He'll debunk the myth that Faden has in the past had a reputation for being a bit of a boiler room, which businesses have had a roaring success in 2020, and what he thinks his his priorities are for 2021 and beyond. This is a cast not to be missed. There's a few laugh out loud moments and lots of tips to take away. So get those earbuds in and enjoy the ride. Andrew, how are you today? Yeah, I'm all good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. very well. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be in your offices, actually. This is this is really nice. I can't believe how big your office is. Yeah, it's... it needs to get bigger, but yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're not unhappy with it, yeah. And I was quite impressed that everyone was up working at eight o'clock, you know? They're, they're banging the phones at eight o'clock. Like, what's going on? Is there something, you, is there something going on in, the, in, in Singapore with your business that, you know, I should know about? Well, we think there's business out there, but the best way of finding out is dining out and, and talking to people. So yeah, there are... 
Uh, that's what they do day in day out. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I love it. Right. So in we're gonna we're gonna start from the beginning. So in 1982, for seven years, you were the, you were in the Duke of Wellington's Regiment Infantry, rising to the position of captain. Now I did a little bit of research because I'll be honest, I had sort of no idea kind of the history of that. And obviously, as being a, you know being a Brit, I felt I should know. Um, and I discovered that the Duke of Wellington's Regiment, which is West Riding, was a line infantry regiment of the British Army, forming part of the King's Division. And in 1702, Colonel George Hastings, the 8th Earl of Huntington, was authorised to raise a new regiment, which he did in around the city of Gloucester. Did you know that? You probably did know well, that. I, I kind surprised. of did, but what's funny is that, uh, you know, it, if it started in Gloucester, it ended in Yorkshire. So <laughs> right. it's, it's uh, almost exclusively uh, recruited from the West Riding of Yorkshire. Okay. So Halifax, Huddersfield, Leeds. Yeah. So uh, for, for Exactly, thy nose, mm-hmm. lass. Uh, so yeah, that's where, that's where it comes from. So it's uh, it's a it's a great Yorkshire regiment. Uh, sadly, no more. Oh, it was okay. uh, it was taken out and amalgamated uh, under the options for change just after their last tour of Afghanistan, thanks to Mr. Tony Blair. Oh, wonderful Tony Blair. So tell tell me a little bit more about your life if it's if you're comfortable sharing that. Obviously, tell me a little bit more about your your life in the army. Oh God, where to begin? Well. Um, I grew up in Teesside, uh, in Middlesbrough. I, okay. I travelled the country. Uh, my dad was in British Steel. He spent his life closing down steel works. So okay. had a sort of interesting childhood. We made friends. My dad <laughs> closed down the steel works. I lost friends and then mm. we moved again. So mm. I kind of had my teenage years settled in uh, Teesside, uh, a place called Yarm, around Teesside. Mm. Um, and, you know, the year was 1980, 81, 82, and unemployment was 30 plus percent. Uh, I got a, a place to read. Uh, law at Leicester University. I loved rugby, and I thought, what to do? Uh, and I joined the army. Is is the short answer? So, so because I thought it might be sort of a family connection was kind of why you decided to go into it. Because sometimes that you know tends to be the reason. But obviously, you said your your dad wasn't doing well, that. He was an ed- wasn't well, he was well. He was originally an educator in the navy, but I, I keep telling him that doesn't count. Right. You know, he, didn't, he didn't get any trigger time. <laughs> uh, no, I I, th- I think the big influences on me were my my grandfather. Uh, was a victim of the Irish uh, p- potato famine. So he j- he came from Ireland, joined the British Army in the King's Division in 1936. He went oh. all the way through from Dunkirk to, uh, you know, D-Day, right the way through the, the Second World War. Didn't really talk about it much unless he'd had a few. Mm. Um, interesting character. My mum was one of a very large Irish family. But then her oldest brother, Paul... Uh, my uncle Paul, he signed up, uh, lied about his age and went off to fight for my grandfather's same regiment in Korea. So he fought um, strangely with the regiment I joined, the Duke of Wellington's regiment. Wow. He fought f- uh, for the King's Liverpool Regiment on the Battle of the Hook. And I think from about the age the yeah, from, from the age of eight, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I think what I learned was that there's only one thing worse than not knowing what you want to do is... is doing it uh, which was great you know having having a, a goal and being able to achieve it was really really quite fortunate and so did you have to travel outside of the UK for that like what you know what were you sort of involved in um, yeah so I, I think I think the the hard bits were I did quite a few tours of Northern Ireland I probably spent okay um, God, three three I spent I was in the army for eight years and I probably spent about three of those years uh, in a very difficult time in the troubles uh, in a very counter-terrorism uh, type role mm. uh, that makes you grow up fast. Uh, I got some great postings: uh, Gibraltar, Portugal, Morocco, Africa, Central America. 
Belize, you know, Kenya, all sorts of places. And was there a specific place that stood out for you for certain reasons at that time? Oh, uh, guy, yeah, I suppose so. The, uh, the bar in the regimental headquarters <laughs> was pretty good. <laughs> no, look, I think um, I, I think I, I did a two and a half year tour of uh, uh, Belfast, where kind of unexpectedly I ended up in a, a very grown up job uh, as the battalion operations officer in a very difficult time where I think both sides were having the last push at killing each other to a submission. So, you know, between 87, 88 and 89, it was pretty violent on both sides. And uh, so how do you, um, I mean, what kind of support is there to be able to have that sort of courage or, you know, is it just, you know, in terms of the people that are around you that you support each other? Is it, you know, what is it that gets you to grow up fast and be able to deal with those kind of, um, that kind of job? Yeah, I think the selection is pretty ruthless. Um, so quite a few people apply and don't get in. Mm. Uh, you know, when I think about it, I was a young army officer at the age of eighteen and a half, nineteen, and oh, in charge of geez. in charge of thirty five people. God, what were crazy. they thinking? Um, yeah. And I think when you when you look back at that time, uh, the Falklands uh, War was just going on uh, when I was going through training. It just finished actually. Uh, so I think a lot of people who were going to join the army said, "Ah, maybe not." Right, uh, and that was That's quite what it useful. Was really about. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it wasn't all sport and uh, sport and fun. Yeah, um, and I think I think the the selection process for young officers is pretty ruthless. Uh, a lot apply, not many get through. So I think they look for the the character and the values and the behaviours and the competencies um, that they they've known over the last four fifty years. Probably make a a, a, a decent platform to to build on. Mm. Uh, you then go to uh, Sandhurst, in my case, which someone kindly, Patrick Hennessy, who had a great book, described it as Hogwarts with guns, uh, oh, which I thought was quite oh, funny. Uh, and I found that quite interesting because at the time, I think I must have been one of a handful, if not the only guy who went to a comprehensive school at Sandhurst, which was interesting. So it, it's yeah. changed a lot now. And, uh, you know, so I it's look gone back. So, OK, so when you were there, it was more... Um Sort of grammar in public school yeah, it's quite yeah. quite fascinating actually so I got exposed to that and when I look back you know I was 18 it's the first time I'd ever been away from home uh, and going back to your question um, I think it, it comes from within you mm-hmm. um, you don't volunteer for service uh, wh- whatever people say you know you join because you want to play rugby for England in the afternoon and win a Victoria Cross in the morning right. uh, you know right. uh, you, you want to see some action you want to see some travel and I think if people were more open about it you want to test yourself mm-hmm. uh, sometimes in very difficult uh, surroundings sometimes in some great fun and I think what I took away from there uh, was you know there's so many skills that I found that were transferable in what way uh, um, oh you know where to begin I, I think um, my lifelong motto since I left the army is don't take life too seriously because no one gets out alive uh, and if you think that through you know I, th- I think um, mm-hmm. if we look at this year with covid um, I think what it's done is actually remind people that every year on this planet, 57 million people give or take die every year. And I think in a in, in a very 21st century, we be, we've become insulated against death. Yeah. Um, people realise their own mortality. Yeah. So start I, to appreciate things that they perhaps didn't before. hundred percent. Yeah. So I think, you know, on a, on a big level, there was that thing is just, you know, uh, make the most of every single day. Mm. Um, keep mentally and physically fit because uh, it'll help you. That's something certainly I got out of it. Um, and, you know, uh, work very closely with people to build trust uh, because if they've got your back, uh, 
uh, and you've got their back, it, it tends to work. And I think the I think the army is really quite misunderstood by you know some quarters in the media. I think it's seen as shouting and marching straight and uh, you know uh, taking too orders. many movies. Mm. Yeah, but um, I mean, my experience was that they teach you how to solve problems. They teach you how to motivate, lead people in some extraordinary mm. different circumstances mm. and difficult circumstances, uh, and and know your strengths or weaknesses and work out how you're going to comp- compensate for the things you know you can't do. You know. And do you find that now when you're when it comes to say the selection interviews for hiring talent into the business, do you find there's a certain certain competencies or skills that you look for that kind of sort of relate to how how you were in the army when they were sort of selecting you? Oh, that's a great question. Look, I've I've, I've been in the private sector in recruitment much longer than I was in the army. I was in the mm. army for eight years, and you know I probably didn't join Faden as a graduate. If you you can probably tell that from the photos, <laughs> but um, it's a great look. What do I think? I I think there is um, an underlying theme of human character mm-hmm. that I'm always looking for uh, when anybody's mm-hmm. going to be joining any business that I've run. Which is uh, what um, I think. I think. Uh, absolute character to start with uh, and character to me means you know if it's going really wrong if things are going really bad um you know uh will they dig deep and find that inner resolve uh, to mm-hmm. um to make a success of the uh situation that they're in yeah uh, that, that's but certainly so, so 100 yeah. resilience yeah um, I like fun people mm-hmm. uh, I think you know uh, we've all met our own personal mood hoovers who can suck the life out of God, a party. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, so n- no mood hoovers need to apply if that's okay. I've never heard that term. I love yeah, it. Okay, so, you know. Um, My husband calls it the fun sponge. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with your husband on that. So, uh, you know, people have fun. People who want, people who know what they want to do with their lives. Mm. Uh, I think there's a balance between people who take themselves seriously, mm. but are careful and clever enough not to show it too much. Mm. Um and, you know, it's an old-fashioned word which I think has has been perhaps labelled unconscious bias. But do I like them? You know, we work yeah. long, hard hours in this job, uh, and if I'm going to put in eight to twelve hours a day to make someone very competent and give them a set of skills or be part of the team that give mm. them that mm. set of skills, um, you know, I, I want to know that the canvas we're working with yeah. wants it. And I think going back to your question about the army, the um, the, the the best thing I got out of it, which has stayed with me forever, is is um, just unlocking people's potential. That privilege of leading people. Mm. Um, sometimes we don't feel that way if it's nine o'clock at night and something's gone really wrong. Um, but I, you know, when I look back at the army in 1982, uh, people might be surprised listening to this, but there were still really bright, intelligent um, young men at the time joining the British Army who'd had every disadvantage possible. Um, and that's why they were joining the army. And, you know, I still remember um, young men who could not read and write joining, being educated, wow. uh, passing their exams, mm. and then going on, uh, long after I left, to do some incredibly amazing, brave things and have mm. fantastic careers. And mm. to know that you've been slightly part of that journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I tend to meet them at reunions or funerals these days. But <laughs> you know, five pints in, it's still. Oh, do you remember that day? And and to, mm-hmm. ha- and I think that's something I've carried right throughout my my career. And also be curious. Um, you know, I like curious. Going back to your question, I, I like curious people. Mm. Um, you know, I, I talk about Faden. I think if anyone walked into a Faden office anywhere in the world in the morning, 
and there were signs saying wet paint, they'd know best and they touch the wall. Mm. They'd either be going, oh, God, look, look at my hand, it is wet, yeah. or it's dry, I told you I was right. So I like curious people who, who, mm-hmm. who um, can conform but aren't conformists. I know that sounds like a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I got lots of things out of it, so many things. So in 1991, you moved out of the British Army and you joined the recruitment powerhouse, the DECO, as Client Services Director of UK. Um, so what, what led you to recruitment? And the, re- the reason I ask that is I know my days at Michael Page in London, we had loads of ex-army. And every time the bosses would talk to them, it would be, yes, sir, yes, sir. Okay, so I'll do that right for now. I'll do that right now for you, sir. I was thinking, oh, my God, like, what is this? So I'm interested to know, was there some kind of career fair from people from the army into there? Or was it kind of referrals that, oh, my friend's doing really well. He came out of the army. Like, what got you oh, there? Uh, yeah, again, a great question. Well, there's two years before that, actually, before I went to um, what was then Adia and became a deco. Um, I got a job in the city doing insurance recruitment. Uh, oh, and, okay. And it was as simple as this. Um, at the time, um, when I'd worked out that I wasn't going to extend beyond my first eight years because you had a choice to do life, 22 years, or do eight years. It was 1989, the Berlin Wall had come down, and I couldn't see any action, and I wasn't particularly a good peacetime young officer. Uh, I, I was like an excitable red setter that needed exercise. Right, right. Uh, I, I was more of a yard officer than a than a house, house dog, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we were guarding nuclear missiles on Greenland Common at the time, as you do. And <laughs> a suspicious car was reported. And yeah. so I took a, a, a patrol down to see this suspicious car. And it was full of lovely people in black tie attire with a puncture. So I got myself and the lads to help the men their, their, their punctured tyre, got talking to them, and they were on their way to a recruitment event, you know, sort of their annual general meeting. And I said, oh, that sounds all right. Uh, and someone gave me a card and I followed up on it. So that, that, Wow, yeah, that, that was fate. That was, it was serendipity. We'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. But then um, when I left the army, the regiment I joined was very good at rugby and I was a half-decent rugby player and I was a good seven-a-side player. Uh, and when I left the army, I was offered a rugby league contract by a Yorkshire club to play rugby league. But at the time, if you played rugby league, you'd mm-hmm. be banned from playing rugby union. Right. Because union was an amateur sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved sevens. I didn't want to turn my back on that. So I, I worked out I needed to get a job uh, in the city. Uh, I went to see a mate of mine who'd actually gone into bond trading and spent about two weeks eating beef burgers, talking about sports, staring at screens. And I thought, no, this this... This is not my future. Mm. Um, and then asked around and people said, you know, you want to do this. And I actually joined a company called Chase Personnel, um, helped them build up an insurance desk. At the time, I'll never forget a guy called Raymond Black, uh, who I bumped into two years ago. Uh, I do charity auctions and he was uh, bidding. And I suddenly recognized him. Uh, and I remember Ray saying, look, I don't particularly like military people. All they can do is march and shoot. And <laughs> what are you going to do if you don't get this job? And I, I, I glibly said, well, probably three post offices a month, you know. Joking, and um, he luckily uh, gave me a break, uh, and I enjoyed that, and, and I found I was kind of okay and good at it, and then we built up a, a general insurance team uh, for about two years, and then I then wanted to learn to sell big contracts, and uh, I recognised that um, I wasn't going to do that, so I, I got to understand the perm thing, and, I, and I've always been okay at looking ahead and thinking, what what do I need to learn? I think life's about learning and earning. Um, and I was doing okay at the recruitment. I loved it. You know, it was city, rugby, you know, I hadn't had a youth 
So I was behaving yeah. pretty badly, yeah. you know, enjoying myself. But then I got this job with a company called Adia at the time, uh, okay. Adia UK, um, and learned how to sell uh, large, complicated outsourcing contracts. Oh, uh, okay. I worked for a fantastic mentor called Joanne Donnelly. Uh, she taught me so much. She taught me how to price, how to negotiate. What's Joanne doing now? Um <sighs> Well, I hope she's still alive. I'm sure she is, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you're um, showing your age now if you're saying people no, are still no, alive. No, no, no. I've, I've had a few drop-off this year, but not from COVID. <laughs> a few drop-off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she, I, I, I'm sure she's still alive. She was a fantastic woman. Um, I really hope she is alive because if she listens to this podcast, she's going to think, oh, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, no, so, so she was just this um, brilliant Scottish energy ball. I think she was married to a pop star who wow. sang in, uh, God, uh, you know, I remember her going to Jim Kerr's wedding and oh the silences was her husband's band, Joseph Donnelly, you know, wow. so look them up. Oh um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Blues for Buddha. Great track. Um, yeah, okay. so I, I did that. And then, you know, I'd, I'd won top salesman for a few year, years and then they formed this thing called uh, Adia Management Services, which was outsourcing, Companies like IBM at the time, mm-hmm. Walker's Chris, Pepsi Cola, Digital, were outsourcing huge production lines and stuff and getting it off the books. Okay. Um, so it was, it was, and it was an interesting time mm. and a very good time to learn. Uh, and I got as much as that uh, out of that. And then when the job came up, I got the, you know, I got the worst, best job in the world. I'd spent my life promising things quietly hoping we could deliver on these complicated contracts and then they turned around and said oh, okay you're now in charge of delivering them as client services director so uh so yeah. do they get bought by deco then so yeah well no it was a merger there was a, a right. com- there was a french company called uh, echo right and, and adia and they they oh, sat down all night right oh god you know they got the marketers involved and came up with spent millions yeah. on Odeco. yeah and move and move the logo slightly to the left <laughs> and then that was it yeah um yeah so i did that and then um so how long were we there for then seven years actually second okay. um and yeah. that was looking after everything in the uk then yeah it was a uk-based yeah. job um you know, what did I get out of it? Uh, I learned to drive on motorways. And I learned to sell and I learned to deliver and I learned to solve problems. We had some cracking problems. I think the, the the best worst day in there was um, when we provided a contractor to a leading high street bank and got a phone call in the morning saying there'd been an armed robbery. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, and I got to meet the, the CEO of NatWest uh, probably for an interview without coffee, as I'd call it. Yeah, it was a fascinating time. Um, Wow. That actually taught me two lessons in recruitment because we went through what diligence had we done to make sure every check possible was done. Mm. And we got a clean bill of health, this menacing, you know, sort of, what's that actor, Damien, what's it, sort of ginger-headed. Oh, from um, Billions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm. um, Lewis, Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis. His, there was a guy who still reminds me of him, sat menacingly in the corner, <laughs> who was the chief security officer taking notes. Um, and then I learned a, a really good le- lesson because we got through that unscathed. And then about eight years, sorry, eight months later, we got dragged in for a real sort of carpeting because we couldn't get our uh, invoicing right. Um, really? And what that taught me in contracting actually was that it's two parts. It's it's the sales and absolutely the admin. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially a lot of people forget that. Yeah. 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 But also just the security checks. I mean, I, I'm not going to say which recruitment firm I was working at at the time, but contracting it I always think there's just so many there were so many great stories that came out yeah. in in the in those kind of London days I remember we had a a lady that we got no we got a client that called up and just said we're just really confused with this person that we've hired we've you know we've had her for a few months and some days she's great and some days she's just not able to perform and there were twins 
And so they were literally alternating their days, these ladies. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, it's actually quite a good idea, but obviously one was a bit rubbish and the other one was quite good. But, you know, London days, um, contracting yeah. back in the day. So in 1990, just make sure I get this correct. In 1997, you then moved to Resource Solutions. Is that right? Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, 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 100%. So yeah. Um, I, uh, I I heard through the grapevine that there was this thing called City Recruitment because I'd worked there and, I, and I'd kind of heard about um, this opportunity. And at the time, Resource Solutions didn't exist. So uh, I, I think Robert Walters PLC were onto a great thing. Uh, it was... Yeah, it was yeah. the arm of Robert Walters, wasn't it? The RPO business, yeah, which they I called mean, Resource Solutions. Yeah, so it didn't, at the time they called it Robert Walters Managed Services. And oh, they, did they? And right. they need, you know, that was my first paycheck, my first business card. And then they needed someone to create what what I, what I we'd call today vendor neutral or managed services. Yeah. And at the time it was Y2K, uh, yeah. European Monetary Union. Hiring was out of control. Yeah. You know, yeah. sort of. I was recruiting then. Yeah, mm. people were meeting Antipodeans at the airport, cutting yeah. the ponytail off, hiding the surfboard, <laughs> telling them Croydon was central London, opening their <laughs> bank account. Elks Court was yeah. the best place yeah. to live. And, and, and sending them down there. And, and it had just got out of control. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I joined and um, what we quickly realised was what the client base needed was a solution to bring some control to that chaos. Mm-hmm. So we... Uh, we launched a thing called Resource Solutions. Um, it's USP, for want of a better word, was it was going to be a managing uh, partner embedded in the clients uh, who would manage all of the recruitment agencies they were using. So it was vendor neutral. It was standalone from the Robert Walters recruitment side. Which was, wasn't Credit Suisse one of the big Credit Suisse was clients the first for one. years, right? Uh, yeah, that was the, like, yeah. the sort of flagship well, one, Well, that was the start, really, and uh, an, an amazing Sue Vesey was on the client side. And there's a lady called Ab- Abigail Staines who'd been brave in Robert Walters and been the first person to go on site. Right. Uh, you know, fantastic operator. And so there's probably Abby and myself and a handful of people. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think what I learned there was you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Uh, and I think sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, because I remember suddenly realising that there was no software, as an example, on the marketplace that we could plug and play. Yeah, okay. Um, so we had to build our own. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, you know, and, I and that. I, yeah, it was at the time it was called Populous. So I think, I think it, I think Robert Walters has probably finally stepped back from that. You know, in, probably in the last, I'd say, four or five years. Um, but that was, you know, you know, what did I know about designing software? Nothing. Um, so it was people, process, technology, and that grew mm. very rapidly um, from probably under ten people to. I suppose, 200, 250 people Crazy. plus in two years. One question I want to ask just before I forget and it goes out of my head. I'm always intre- I always find this that model, the, the vendor-neutral model, quite interesting. That How did other recruitment firms feel when they had to deal with you guys? Because obviously they're dealing with Credit Suisse, they're dealing with their HR, and all of a sudden they've got an, an arm of, of, um, yeah. of Robert Waters now sitting on site supposedly neutral. How did you deal with those kind of con? Because I know we were at Michael Page at the time, and yeah. we we actually had a book to we had a book that we we were logging of every incident that we felt you guys were doing the dirty, and we would present that. It, was, it seems so childish now when I look back, but that's what we were doing. Oh, um, yeah. Look, it was a tough gig. Interestingly, as much inside as outside. Uh, so let's start with Robert Walters first. Uh, I think it, it became quickly apparent that there was an expectation. 
that you know the the, the, ta- a- the tables would be crooked. Yeah, um, yeah, and they weren't. You know, ultimately. Yeah. You know, what we had a lot we, to lose if you did. You're right? exactly right. Yeah, you know, uh, reputations that take ages to build up and can be mm. broken in seconds. And um, ultimately, I'll be very frank with you. Uh, anybody who's worked on site will understand this. When you've got sixty vacancies on and the line is down the corridor, not down the end of the yeah. phone, and they're screaming at you, you don't care. You don't give a shit where, where that candidate comes from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to feel so. Yeah, um, there's an article on LinkedIn where I, I glibly describe myself as the most hated man of recruitment. Um, some I remember. Uh, I don't think we're named the podcast title. Well, 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 no, no, no. I, I think I think um, there's a lady out there called Caroline who worked for a very good temp city-based agency. Who, they, you know, her boss came around to to, to threaten us. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was quite fun. Yeah, I mean, and I remember, <laughs> and I remember going out with um, at the time Terry Benson. Oh God! Who was the CEO of um, basically? <laughs> Michael Page at the time, yeah, as he put no, out. And I remember it. after the conversation for a joke, I sent him um, a Toy Story 2 dinosaur, you know, just, just for some fun. And it came back with its head removed. Yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, so, oh, um, that is absolute classic. And I remember Terry, you know, we were, I remember him, Rob, Giles, Dorman, and myself and a few other people meeting up. And I think Terry's solution to the internet was, look, it's a bit like a fax. We can unplug it. You know, so yeah, and look, I, I think I, to answer your question a bit more seriously, I think those firms who quickly worked out there was a size of pizza, the pizza size was going to stay the same, mm-hmm. and there was lots of people taking a slice, yeah. And the better they performed, the yeah. bad performers would be um, deselected, yeah, and there would be more of the pizza slices left for a smaller number of. Supplier yeah. partners, yeah. those people who got with the program, um, got with the program yeah. fantastically, and they were really smart people. Yeah. They were very smart operators. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know my biggest battles short term were uh, internally with Robert Walters. Going back to that point, that interesting. Point in made. what in what way? Because they felt that they they should we sh- they should get heads up on what's going on. Yeah, look, uh, undoubtedly, you know, yeah. um, and the you know, well, we're paying for this would be the. Mm. Thing. Well, they weren't. The client was paying for it. It was mm. a paid-for model. And you also had JP Morgan as well, didn't you? Have oh no, that was yeah. We did. I mean, so you, you know, JP Morgan we got well, seventy plus percent of the market in the first two years. So, uh, and then because of that, we realised we'd run out of um, living space. So that, I then took it abroad. Uh, Goldman Sachs were very good to us. I got to go, and there's a great guy called Phil Eames set up Goldman Sachs in Tokyo and yes, um, Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, Mike Hussey set it up in New York um, and then we went from the banking industry into commerce and industry you know so we bought some rayon ties and things like that to to, you know but we never never quite got to the public sector so it was was great fun and great great times Were you based in the UK all through at that time then? Uh, Yeah I I kind of was based in British Airways departure Oh were you? Yeah Yeah, I I bet you were So um, I, I think what I learned there is is you know, hire people better than you and pick a good crew. If you're going to if, if you're going to send people to go and open something up, yeah, it, it, something I passionately believe is they've got the people you send have got to be culture carriers. So mm, um, that's a nice way of describing it. You know, you, yeah. you, you you can't hire someone over three days in New York that you think might be good at the job. Yeah, you've got to take one of your own. Yeah, that, where there's a mutual trust, where they understand the recipe. And they're happy to lift up that root ball from the nursery and, and yeah, take it over. Yeah, I have the it. same. I I have the same discussions with companies that are 
looking at setting up an office somewhere else is I do believe it's best to export your own yeah, trying to beat someone outside of that and expect to kind of give them that loyalty or you know to be able to set, be able to build that culture it's just very difficult they don't tend to work and I know it would be always found if we moved someone from one of the offices it, it would just always succeed as yeah. opposed to taking someone externally it is interesting you just going back to what you said before about that it was quite a challenge it was a bit of a challenge dealing with people from Robert from Robert from Robert Waters as part of Resource Solutions how did you try and overcome that or does it did it never really get over did you look I think we did I, look, I mean don't forget um it's a bit like when people moan about the London underground system um and how bad it is when you compare it to the Singapore MRT and things like that you know the reality of life, the London Underground was the first in the world, so there was mm-hmm. no benchmark. Um, and in fairness to the Robert Walters consultants, um, was it explained to them properly what was going on? Yeah, I'd leave that to the directors of that mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Strategically, I think uh, Rob, who's a very bright, successful man, knew it had to be done. So did Ben Anderson, so yeah. did Giles Daubeny. Mm-hmm. Because if we didn't do it, someone else would do yeah, it. Absolutely. So we we absolutely had first mover advantage the first the first year some of the challenge was uh, I learned pretty quickly just because someone is a good sales recruiter it doesn't mean to say that they've got the competencies to be a good customer service client service embedded in the client business recruiter um, so you know I always used to be aware of Greeks bearing gifts when people come to me and say look you know I've got a great recruiter who'd be ideal for on-site you go three times later you go aye aye Okay, mm. so you just want to offload a problem. Mm. Um, so I think in the first year, um, I had to work very hard at two things. One is making sure that it was a microculture within Robert Walters PLC, and it was successful. Uh, and it was successful because the, uh, quite quickly, the directors of Robert Walters recruitment businesses realized it wasn't a shoe-in, it wasn't an easy ride. They had to earn their supper. Mm. And they worked really well, really hard, really smart. And on a fair two-horse race, more often than not, they'd be first past the post. Um, so, you know, I remember um, getting the, the, the name Resource Solutions and not having those two green Robert Walters bars on it, having mm. a mm. neutral and different logo. I'd mm. probably say that, you know, that was a challenge, but it was, it was the mm. right thing to do. Mm. Uh, and then eventually I think people got to understand it was a smart thing that the guys, the boys at the top had yeah. asked to do. Well, it's still going now, right? Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, it was great fun. Um, do you miss that side? Because obviously you're not doing RPO n- now. Not at all. So don't miss it. Not at all. Yeah. Um, I think... It's very different, isn't it? Um, yeah, look, I, I, th- I think it's... I, so, yeah, what, what a glib answer from me. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Um, I, I, had gr- I loved the culture there that we built. You know, uh, I built a central management team. It was just fun. We, we, everything was, let's have a big round of applause, uh, resource solutions round of applause for X, you know. It was great fun. It was a microculture within uh, Robert Waters that grew and grew and grew and exported. And I was incredibly proud of the people who helped me achieve that. Um, and that was a great feeling. And when we, you know, we, we Walters was floated, it was sold to staff mark. That was a fiasco. We then floated yes. it again. Yes, that was all that. good fun. But going back to your question, I think the RPO industry now, it depends on what the, the pricing model is. If you're mm. a team in a client premises where you have to make your money by filling the client's jobs and you have penalties if you don't fill those jobs, mm. then you're going to hang on to that business critical job for as long as you can and probably too long. 
Yeah. And therefore, you end up with an unhappy line manager, an unhappy, an unhappy on-siter. Um, the external supply chain, other recruiters aren't getting a look in, and it's a lose, 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 lose. Mm. So I think it depends on the pricing model. Um, but I just think now it's um, it's not greenfield sites anymore. It's not. Yeah. I think you can compete on uh, innovation and quality or cost. And it strikes me now most of the organisations are stripping out the innovation and the added value, and it's a it's basically a race to the bottom on pricing. Mm. Now, I might be wrong. Mm. Um, you know, and ultimately, I think business is about um, profit and loss, and I think the margins are wafer thin. Yeah, and yeah. so you're you're it, it you're dependent on volume. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's my view. I, I wouldn't go back. Good, yeah. interesting to know that. Coaching provides the space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Now, you moved to Hudson, right? So after Resource Solutions, you yes. joined Hudson and you spent six years as their chief commercial officer oh. and folks on the UK and continental Europe. Yeah. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, kind of. So Hudson was um, a spin out of that great story, TMP Worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, when I look back, I think revisionist history is easy. I, 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 left, I left Walters because when we did the second flotation – um, I, I had a letter saying I'd be made a main board director, and it didn't happen, so I left because I, oh. I, it was like check your move, and you know, um, oh. and I, I felt I was painted into a corner, and I had no choice. Um, so I looked for another job. Um, there was a great guy called at the time Andy Grant, uh, who I'd met at Walters, is lovely man, uh, and he said still alive. Yeah, he's still, definitely still alive. Yeah, <laughs> definitely still alive. <laughs> last, last seen wearing. Yeah, yeah, he's still on the bus. Um, yeah, so he, he, he said, look, we're doing this thing. Um, and I was quite interested because they had Monster.com and mm. TMP e-resourcing. And I'd kind of seen the internet. I, I come from an age where I'm pre-mobile phones and pre-computers and pre-internet, certainly. So I was quite interested with this whole .com stuff. I'd seen it go from mm. .com to .coma between 2000 yeah. and 2001, where a lot of people got burned. Yeah. And then Monster was doing pretty well. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go. But when you look back, before Hudson existed, TMP was just a roll-up of acquired mum-and-pop shops and some very good businesses like Quarry Dougal, the legal firm, et cetera, uh, with paper money printed by an American-listed dot-com thing. And my interest was piqued because a year previously, um, when Michael Page uh, sold to Spherian. Um Basic Credit Suisse, they did our flotation, which won an award, and then they won the opportunity to do the Michael Page flotation. And as Rob came from Michael Page, um, Credit Suisse asked Rob if he'd go and do a talk at the Credit Suisse oh, right. um, service industry conference. Uh, and Rob politely declined. Um, and I, I, I went as a very poor... Substitute. You know, a pound shop Rob, <laughs> you know, was sent to do this presentation. And... It was quite interesting because it was a very it was in San Diego, a really packed audience when this guy wow. called Jim Tracy got up to tell the monster story to this analyst community that are gathered from America. 
Um, and then I had a, a surreal experience as soon as Jim finished. And uh, it was certain to me Jim's issue was not confidence. Yeah. We're, oh, right, really? He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We'll, we'll come back to that because right. he went to jail. Um, oh, right. Yeah, we'll come on to that. Um, and then um, when I got up to do the Robert Walters story, um, about 85% of the audience got up and left. Um, which, really? Yeah, which is quite interesting. because And what that told me was where their heads were, were absolutely on this dot-com, the new way of working, you know, recruitment was dead, we're the future. This is, you know, if you look at your multiple, this is what we're mm. getting. Um, now, you know, it's in the public record, so we can't get sued for me saying this, but uh, subsequently Jim went to jail. Um, and uh, I, I learned a lot of things working for TMP Worldwide about how not to do things. And some of the things... They got up to you know it's in the public domain. What did he get? What did he go to jail for? Well, he went to jail for basically uh, price fixing, uh, oh. stock options. Is he still in jail? Uh, no, I think he got two years. Uh, Andrew McKelvey, he is dead. Oh yeah. right. So so he was an interesting character. <laughs> I just love the people that are dead or yeah, alive. Yeah. Um, and he should have gone to jail, but very sadly he got I think um, cancer of the colon or pancreatic oh, cancer. God, and they prefer to go to jail then. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it was a very interesting time for me. Um, and it was it, it taught me how people will basically short term three month return analyst calls what pressure what type of wrong pressure companies who are in the public domain publicly listed companies can put on people to make sure that they make that number. But do you feel did you ever feel pressured to be going down that 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 route? I, I'm not that type of person. Uh, I had two uh, amazingly difficult conversations where you know I, I politely refused a request uh, and you know when you're you know in your early stage careers with two kids who are at private school uh, regardless of that you know uh, I think we've all got a, a line we'd mm -hmm. we'd not cross mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to go into that no, but on I, two occasions I, I remember being told Unknown certain terms, and you know, I thought, look, it's check, it's your move. I'm not not going to do that. Mm. And you, yeah. so you, so you spent how long with them? You spent so six that, years. I think with them? I think no, that was about two years, and then we spun out Hudson, um, basically to form Hudson Highland Incorporated, which was a search firm and right. you know contingent professional services. Which isn't there agreement. anymore, Hudson? Highland, I think I think Hudson RPO still exists. It right. was led by a guy called John Chait. Right. Um, I reported to a fantastic guy. Um, so and Andy Grant left TMP Worldwide, Chris Hermanson left TMP Worldwide. And then uh, John, uh, sorry, John Rose was a lovely guy. I worked for him. He was the CEO of um, Hudson in the United Kingdom and Ireland. Right. Uh, and I had a UK and European role, basically uh, integrating a load of roll-ups and, and getting corporate accounts and RPO and, and stuff going. So that, that was quite interesting. It, it was... Um, if you've got a curious mind and you like playing with puzzles, mm -hmm. it was a great gig. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't wait to leave there. Right. So so let's fast forward then. So you went to Talent 2 in 2007, right? Yeah. Um, as their MD covering Europe, Middle East, Africa. Right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. So I, I, again, Andy Grant took me to uh, Talent 2. Talent 2 was an Australian listed company. Right. Um, a brain of uh, Andrew Banks, who did Morgan mm -hmm. & Banks. Mm -hmm. Uh, listed, I took a, a, a job to do sales in the city. Uh, they'd never really cracked uh, Europe and England. They'd been very much a 
Singapore, Asia, yeah. you know, uh, t- type gig. Mm-hmm. It was a listed company um, which did payrolling, recruitment, headhunting, etc. You know, from uh, intern to, to CEO types thing. Um, and then, in a uh, a classic case of being uh, asked to go and do a sales pitch, I, I went to the Middle East for a weekend uh, to go and talk to uh, the office of Sheikh Mohammed. There, they had a thing called Dubai Holding, um, and they'd been advised by McKinsey. Uh, that if they were going to get these 12 projects off the ground at the height of the boom, you know, the Tiger Woods golf course, the green flags, you know, know, sort of de-risk themselves from hydrocarbons. Um, If they didn't get 1,572 senior leaders from various walks of life on board by date X, it was going to collapse and fail. Right. So um, at the time, uh, Basic Talent had acquired a, a, a retained search business that was dotted it was a very family business dotted around the gulf right in different countries i went to do the sales pitch and didn't want to move to the middle east whatsoever um so put in an impossible ask uh and a weekend became a week and then two weeks and eventually i i, I kind of won this um enormous rpo project oh god you know. so did you move out there then yeah i did yeah i spent five years there gosh how did uh, the family find moving there um well, I, I I went there as a single man because one of I think one of the I got divorced probably about three years previously. Four oh, years sorry, previously. No, that's all right. No, no. Questions. I mean, I, I I think um, I, I so I I have uh, two children by my first marriage and right. two children by my current marriage. Oh. And at the time, my twin boys, um, my twin boy and girl, um, Tom and Olivia, who who are now twenty six. So Gosh, time wow. flies. Yeah. Uh, they lived with their mum, who'd remarried. Um, in Somerset, and I went over there single. Okay. Uh, but then uh, I came back to London for, for a break and bumped into my now wife in Tiffany's in um, in uh, the Royal Exchange and got married about five months later. Wow. Yeah, Gosh, so, your whole life is all this fate, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, serendipity. So, um, yeah, I spent five years out there, and, and it, that was just a tough gig. It was... Um, you know, we did the boom. So what were you the doing bust. there then? What were you actually focusing on there then? Uh, well, during the boom, I was ho- I was focusing on getting loads of people into Dubai right. to do all these jobs. Um, and we did it really well. Uh, you know, there wasn't a business there to do that. Um, I put an advert out internally to t- uh, talent to another people, which was a, a, a cheap imitation of Shackleton's wanted real men for danger, you know, chances of success, nil. Right. You know, wanted people to come to the Middle East, live in a porter cabin in the desert and do something amazing. And we assembled this team of 32 people in right. four weeks wow. and just got on with it. That would be such a great reality TV show, wouldn't I, it? I, I, honestly, it was, it, was, it was clinically fascinating. Yeah. It, it was, it, honestly, yeah. it was the Lords of the Flies meets recruitment, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and there were some great people who came out there. And, you know, we did that really well. And then I remember being asked by one of the executives at the client to come to London and interview some in-house management consultants. And then at the time, I, I was privy to a conversation where I worked out pretty quickly that the crash was coming. Right, right. Um, and, right. Then, and then I you know, had a really unpleasant task of... Uh, right. I, by then, I was running the region, uh, the Middle East region. I had to right size the recruitment business quite drastically. It was all retained, and that wasn't going to mm-hmm. work. I had to diversify the business training, payrolling. Right. But then, I think the saddest thing was um, all these people who'd 
taken these roles in the yeah. Middle East, yeah. uh, rented their houses out, taken yeah. the kids out of school, were turning up, and um, I took tough. I took the flag for that. I met mm. them at the airport, mm. told them they were going back. You Jeez, know, and that, that was a tough time. Yeah, and then it started getting better, and then the Arab Spring came, um, which was quite interesting. Um, so we had a business at the time in Bahrain, Oman, uh, Qatar, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Dubai. And uh, the strangest gig I ever got as a training gig was I, I got a phone call from a, an amazing gentleman called Steve Harrison. Sorry, not Woody Harrison, uh, Steve Harrison. Yeah. Uh, alive who, or dead? He's de- definitely alive. Right. He's a huge Welsh guy, speaks Russian, Welsh, English, Arabic fluently, wow. ex-foreign office, tremendous wow. rugby player. All round good guy, and he gave me a call and said, um, "Can you come and train the Bahrain, you know, sort of cabinet on negotiation skills?" Uh, and this was a G- a GEMA consultant. Uh, uh, no, that was at uh, still at Talent Two. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So you were training the Bahrain. Yeah, it's on LinkedIn. It's all, on, this is all verifiable. Yeah, on negotiation skills. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was just. Um, it was what just, was involved in that? Well, if you think about it, they probably hadn't had to negotiate before. It t- kind of. Love it. Yeah, so that 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 was. Uh, I'm gonna you know. send you my negotiation course. You can uh, see what see what. See what <laughs> well, I was teaching the right principles or? of Fisher and Yuri getting to yes. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'm all right then. I've got yeah. that in there. We're yeah, good. I mean, look, I mean, they, 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 it was quite a tough gig because they just sadly two people had just been shot dead on the roundabout where the protests were. So let's let's fall let's fast forward now to a Gima consulting before you then. It yes. came into your current yeah. role. Um, so you left Talent 2 and then you joined the GEMA consultant. Tell me a little bit about that role and what led you to Faden. Oh, it, um, I, I worked out that, well, I knew that um, Allegis was going to buy Talent 2. Right. Um, Allegis was very big. Mm. Talent 2 in Europe was very small. Mm. Um, I was asked to go back to the UK and I, I, I just worked out pretty quickly that I wouldn't have a job to go to. So right. I resigned and then and then I formed the powerhouse at Gemma Consulting. Which was based where? This uh, is your business Yeah, then? it was my business. It was it was uh, brilliantly led uh, for about, <laughs> nine, about nine months. Uh, <laughs> great um, boss. Uh, fantastic Great, great benefits. Yeah. You're based in the UK then? Uh, yeah. I went. So I left the Middle East yeah. uh, with a very young child from my, my, my current marriage. Yeah. Uh, uh, Master Christian Lucian Andrew McNeilis, um, and I didn't have a job. And when I look back, you know, uh, quite a brave thing to do, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, very brave. And I, I, so I set up a consulting firm called the Gemma. Mm-hmm. I had an idea about it, um, and then my second gig, um, I, I went to Faden Capital, um, and I was engaged by them on a contract for a period of time uh, by their founder. Um, doing, doing what? Um, well, at the time, um, Faden. It was at the time it was Faden Capital. It, okay. It, it had just started Singapore as its second office. Uh, the first office was in London. Okay. The majority of the business was mostly Selby Jennings. I think it was definitely under a hundred people, probably about sixty, seventy, eighty people. Right. Right. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I think the the leadership had recognised they needed to just go through that maturation cycle and uh, bring some people with a bit of scar tissue and experience in to do certain things. So I joined originally to do uh, client development. Okay. Okay. Perms. Yeah. Perm purely focus. perm business. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then. Across UK or. I, I think it, it, it was, it, it was a very internationally minded business. Right. Okay. So it traded in many countries from the UK outside the UK. Um, and then uh, after about I, I think four five I think four five six months, 
they asked me to join full time to be the COO, Chief Operating well, you must, Officer. You must have done something right in those four to five months, mustn't I th- you? I, I think it was the guy they hired before who left quickly. <laughs> probably, probably did something wrong um, more than me doing something right. Uh, yeah, no, I'd say got a C in front of it. Always sounds good. Yeah, yeah well, no, I mean that was and that was that that was that was an enjoyable cleaning role. Yeah, what were um, you doing then as Chief I, Operating Officer? Uh, but well, you know. Um, we were tidying up the company structure. Mm. We we're putting people process, um, you know, uh, maturing and professionalising. So mm. when, when I joined the company, um, it didn't have any values, didn't have a mission on the website. Um, you know, it was a, you know the website was you know what car do you want to drive? You know, yeah. uh, uh, which was good fun. But I think um, yeah. if you're going to realise the value, times change. Well, yeah, but if if yeah. you if you're going to realise the value of your work. Um, as a founder entrepreneur, I think unfortunately you've probably got to become what you hated and what made you leave big companies in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And, I, and so I, I spent about two years doing that, um, and you know, you know, sort of in things like integrating two CRMs into one, and you know, simplifying the company structure through the finance experts, um, teaching people how to sell in a more consultative way, retainers. Lots of stuff, um, helping them set up the infrastructure for their foray into uh, the New York office where they took um, six fantastic people led by Harry Uton, who's now the CEO. So he, he did America brilliantly. What was his name? Harry? Harry Uton, yeah, who's the global CEO. Um, and, and he's a you know, very, very good operator. So America business is, is, is pretty established now. So, to, so bring, me, bring me up to date because I'm conscious that obviously – um, I, I, you know, I just really keen to know a little bit more about Faden because okay. I'll be honest, I'm not so familiar. Well, I mean, I've heard of you guys, yeah. but I don't. Um, tell me a little bit more about kind of the the history of the company and kind of your role now currently in Singapore. Okay. And yeah. I'd love to love to know more about that because there's lots of brands. I can see obviously yes. behind us, we've got the yeah. the banner behind us. There's lots and lots of brands with with Faden. So tell me a little bit more about that. So um, it was founded by uh, somebody who who left S3 and said, "I can do it better." Um, the heritage okay. brand, the first brand was uh, Selby Jennings, which was banking financial services, um, very much going direct to line, uh, very KPI driven, great sales culture. Um, and then gradually, uh, you know, the, the business has evolved. So what is it today? Faden International is the holding company yeah. um, around the world. So it's a global company yep. um, and it exists to find clients hard to find experienced business critical talent mm-hmm. okay so regardless of the brands that sit under mm-hmm. fade international you know our, our common heritage is is really what we uh, look at is, is finding business critical mostly perm talent uh, what are mostly the br- perm talent. yeah okay. so we're probably about uh 80 something percent perm and 20 percent contract so it's 20 percent within all of those brands or is it a certain one of those companies that does contract more, some more than others so right. i'll, I'll okay. come on to that so okay. l- let me start simple before i confuse myself <laughs> okay so fane's the holding company and underneath that we have five wholly organically grown different brands um three of them focus on being industry sector experts okay and two of them focus on being skills experts that can go into different industry sectors so selby jennings is front and middle bank, bank uh, banking financial services mm-hmm. and fintech mm-hmm. uh, that business is in every office around the world it has been the most established and probably produces now 
under just just about under fifty percent of our global net fee income. Okay, so that's that. You know, what are the other brands uh, you can see from here? Uh, DSJ Global is an example of a brand that covers different sectors. So that's procurement, operation yeah. excellence, logistics, and supply chain. Um, EPM Scientific is covers the life sciences sector, mm. and that focuses on uh, the skills for the discovery of a drug or device, right. taking that drug or device once it's been approved by the FDA. Is that quite busy right now? Very busy. <laughs> Come on to that. Uh, so taking launching that drug or device to market, and then the regulatory and compliance that runs underneath that. So that's very much sector specific. The life sciences, pharma, you know, molecular biology, diagnostics. Then we have a business again called Glowcoms, which uh, is connective technology. Uh, everything you. you Every other technology business, we're, we're slightly more refined. We tend to focus on DevOps and cyber with that, that business. Right, and again, okay. whether you're finding DevOps for, for Langley or whether you're finding you know, DevOps for GlaxoSmithKline, you know, those skills can transfer yep. sector to sector. Yep. And last but not least, you've got um, LVI Associates, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically clean energy and infrastructure. Oh, okay. So um, they're, they're the brands. Uh, not every brand is deployed in every office. Right, that's just going to uh, be my next question. Okay, yeah. so who's here in, in – which ones are in Asia then? So um, in the Hong Kong office, we have DSJ and Selby Jennings. Yep. And in the Singapore office, we have LVI Associates, Selby Jennings, and EPM Scientific. So in the region, the only business that we haven't deployed is Glowcoms. Uh, and, and the rationale – You said that was a tech one, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. But we And the rationale for that is actually we do a lot of tech – uh, through the Selby Jennings brand into oh, banking okay. tech. So you actually fintech. do have it, but yeah, you don't we do. know yeah, There's no point breaking it out as of yet. Um, I'm going to ask a really personal question, I suppose. I mean, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, but, so, you know, there, there is sometimes that reputation with Faden. I may have got this wrong from just, you know, in that it can be a bit of a boiler room, like it's all KPI orientated and... Um, and I suppose if I'm saying when I came in the office today, everyone starts at eight, it's all, they're all banging on the phones, right? Which is a positive, but also can be, oh, okay, is it? I would love you to tell me whether, um, is that a reputation that you guys have? Or do you think that it's, it's, it's warranted? Talk me through that. Well, I think we sold the boiler now. You, know, uh, <laughs> we, it's, you can say we've got LVI associates, so we've, we've got clean energy. Um, yeah, so, so look, I, I think... We all know people listening to this podcast are, are because they make their livelihood in recruitment. Yeah. Um, and it is an outbound, very competitive, no entry uh, bar industry. So I, I absolutely believe that the uh, core heritage of our business was, was a very um, sales orientated, highly motivated, KPI driven. Uh, you know what good looks like. You know what success looks like. Um, good fun culture mm -hmm. uh, and some people might describe that as a boiler room some people might describe it as just a frenetic sales entrepreneurial culture so do you do you, are there people that are within the business that have stayed longer than th three to five years for instance yeah 100 percent. okay yeah. so 96 percent of our leadership joined our graduate academy how long ago was the graduate academy uh, it started 10 years ago we got okay. people 10 12 i got people okay. in here who've been with us for, for 10 plus years. And what types of people do you tend to hire in terms of recruiters? Um, yeah, well, I, th I think that's evolved over the years. Going back to your question about the boiler room, I, I, mm. think, I think we've, we've, we've kept the best bits of that, but we've done two private equity deals um, in the last, let's say, five, six years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if, if you annoy a talent acquisition team uh, in London because you went straight to line to that one bank, 
and the, the hiring manager was fed up of waiting and they hire someone, you know, you're going to get blacklisted, you're going to get told off. When you're under 50, 60 people, you can get away with that because you brush the crumbs under the carpet mm -hmm. and no one talks about it and you move on. But eventually you've got that reputational risk and, you know, th those crumbs under the carpet basically become a mountain and you'll trip over it and uh, you're in danger of losing your reputation for having bad customer service. Uh, and I don't think we ever had a reputation for bad customer service, but we did business with people once or twice and moved on. Not because of bad things, it's just that we didn't apply to the RPOs and things like that. So the job I did before this, I was the chief commercial officer. Um, and I'm very proud to say um, an example of us maturing is when I joined Faden, um, very few clients used more than one of our brands. So the idea of okay. cross-lease okay. and cross-sell. Yeah. Um, very few offices uh, around the world referred work to each other. Um, and then we did when we did our last private equity event, for example, over 20% of the business that uh, deals that we did came from cross-referrals. Okay. Uh, and our key accounts, corporate accounts, whatever mm. companies call it, that went from being under 7% when I joined to about 35% now of our global net fee income comes from repeat business. So okay. I, th I think we've just been through that maturation cycle. Yeah. And going back to your other question, so what type of people mm. uh, do we hire? We still look for those things that we looked 10, 12, yeah. whenever we started years ago. Um, desire, hunger, resilience, uh, ambition, uh, character. You'll see our values are ability, character, loyalty. Mm. We look for strong character people who can evidence whether they've been to university or whether they've had their first job or whatever, that they, they can evidence good resilience and they've had to fight to achieve uh, where they've got today. Now, they might only be 21. Yeah, uh, or they but you might can be still see that demonstrated, can't you, if you 100%. ask the right questions. And how do you just ensure then that those values that you mentioned of ability, character, loyalty, live and breathe? Because I think there's one thing that I always see from not just recruitment firms, all sorts of corporates, that they have these values on the board. Sorry, they have them framed, they're on the wall. Yeah. But actually, how often are they mentioned and are they in appraisals? Are they commended? Do you, you know call out when those behaviours aren't or those values aren't? Um, being seen like how do you go about trying to make sure that they live and breathe uh, in this region I'm responsible for it's a, look I think it's a great question I think ultimately um, if you've got a top Bella uh, sorry top Bella top Bella top Bella <laughs> who breaks your village code mm. uh, we fire them okay so you know, how do I know it's we're a values based company because we have exited people who have failed to live up to the high standards that we expect okay. of people okay. and whether they've been here Five years, five yeah. minutes, eight yeah, years. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that, actually, because um, I think quite a lot of firms do keep hold of people because they're the one biggest biller. But, I mean, we used to have someone in London. He actually, I'm not going to name his name because actually he's a decent recruiter now as soon as he left the London office. Um, and he went to New York. He was absolutely fantastic um, leader, biller, everything. But in London, he was an absolute arsehole. No. And so he could do absolutely anything. And he was a nasty piece of work. Yeah. Um, but people just dealt People just tolerated it because they were a high biller. And I just think that's no, I, it's, I, it's wrong. It's best to build teams and yeah. successful um, ethical with integrity teams as opposed to just letting this one person kind of dictate the yeah. type of culture. So I think that's just wrong. Yeah, look, I agree. And, we, and the short answer is on the negative side, I think, you know, there's a values based company. If people who do not live and breathe those values get exited from the business, mm. even if they're a top biller. So, I, you know, I'll, you know, I won't proudly put my hand up for that, but personally, I've 
can think of three occasions where I've personally done that in this company uh, in my 10 years, ninth okay. year here. Uh, but I think on the positive side, mm-hmm. um, in our business, uh, we make it very clear that when someone joins as a graduate, their first three promotions are about hitting their sales target and how they behave. But if they want to get on in their twice yearly reviews, in their performance reviews, in yeah. their regular contact about feedback, I'm a massive believer in challenging feedback. Yeah, I think people need to know where they are. Yeah, you know, uh, you're doing great. Well, you need to improve this, or everything's fine. You're you're just steady. I think people thrive on feedback, and um, one of the things I, I insist insist on sounds too grandiose, but integral to getting promoted to sales management in our business and sales leadership is demonstrating the behaviours you see there. Um, Listeners can't see it there. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> thing, things like you know, for those that. Those listening at home, we are looking at Exhibit A. Yes. Uh, no, but we, we we'll put it on our Instagram account. Th- these ones here. So look, yeah. you know, the, the magnificent behaviours that you know we, we we want people to be able to demonstrate as they go down the leadership route: accountability, objectivity, being decisive, being selfless, putting mm-hmm. others first instead of themselves, having a challenging culture. Whether you've been here five minutes or whether you've been here fifteen years, if someone sees something that is wrong and can be put right. Um, leaders should inspire people, I believe, uh, and mm-hmm. leaders should build trust. So, and do you have quite a lot of leaders? Do you, have you got that succession planning here, for instance, in terms of? Yeah, it's, it's, it's to... our biggest challenge because um, we're a business built on growth, mm. uh, and what keeps me awake at night is is producing the next level of uh, yeah. leaders. Yeah. You, you know for well because you're a very experienced professional, and and you know from the coaching and mentoring point of view and the mm. development, um, someone can be really brilliant at their job and not get promoted because they haven't worked on their succession plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I'm being serious for a minute here, mm. but the, you know, absolutely, the thing that uh, is always keeping me awake at night is when we do that office, when we've got that growth yeah. plan, when... Who can we move there? Yeah, Who's yeah, going to backfill that 100%, role? 100%. Yeah, and yeah. Not, I don't think... And also, I think times have changed where a lot of recruiters don't want to manage. They actually would prefer to be a billing consultant as opposed to spending their time managing others if they don't see that there's financial benefits to doing that. So I think for for MDs, it's a lot harder. You've got to spend more time convincing that there is a path there where before it was always, mm. well, I'd always want to be a manager. Well, now it's convincing people to do, to do management because yeah. sometimes they can be the first to be cut if they're not the ones contributing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, we, we, well, we, we recognise that probably about three, four years ago. And we know, so people join as an associate, Mm. then consultant, then senior consultant, and then they get the opportunity to um, go down two paths. One is being an individual contributor, right. what we call a market expert. And a 360. Still 360. Yeah. And they can go from being a principal to an AVP to a VP to an SVP to managing director if Got they it. are a sole trader yeah. working with us, dominating and being an expert. And the trade there is if they get up the food chain, they have to train and develop other individual practitioners so they oh i got it yeah, yeah. okay okay so okay. sort of that's kind of the lone wolf squadron yep yeah and then the other choice is i you know i i want to you know I, I want to learn how to manage and lead and inspire a team now what we do in our business pretty simply is we hire really bright graduates and we teach people how to do recruitment and then we teach people how to teach people to do recruitment okay and then we teach people how to inspire people to want to teach people to teach people to do recruitment. Right, right. Yeah? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, and 
Yeah, that that is at all times. We have a fantastic investment in L and D here in the region. I've got um, a phenomenal L and D mm-hmm. person, and broadly, our L and D activity is split. Uh, with one expert focusing on people under 14 months mm-hmm. and one person focusing on 14 months yeah, onwards yeah, uh, yeah. because they're, di- they're, they're different issues. And I yeah. fundamentally don't believe just because someone's done their first four deals, placement, whatever, that they've suddenly become a market expert. And I, I think it takes um, somewhere between eight months to 14 months for someone to be yeah, uh, but I think you're always continuously learning, yeah, right? That's 100%. the whole thing, isn't it? You might know how to recruit, but in terms of um, – just in terms of the whole kind of build relationships with clients and kind of the dynamics of that, how it can change in terms of the relationships that has to be worked on. You have to develop those skills as time goes on. Um, What are the challenging aspects of your role right now? Is it that people development side or is it, you know, to do with sort of COVID and diversifying portfolios? Like where would you say kind of your, your major challenges that you're working through right now? Oh, where to begin? Um, You know, I think, I think, I've heard of this COVID thing. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, like I think, I think 2020 has been a Shit. Uh, not for <laughs> us actually. I, okay. I, I, I mean, globally, um, you know, we're privately very pleased with how we've landed. Um, you know, our, our accounts close in October. Our financial year starts okay. in November. Okay. So we've got a full year of which um, we've had some very challenging circumstances and come through intact. And actually, broadly. We're only slightly behind on the top line where and, we were. And any particular brand that did exceptionally well? Uh, yeah, unsurprisingly. So, e- EPM. Oh, EPM. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Discovery. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's been busy. But yeah. also, I mean, it's, it's a great question actually because the logistics would be as well, well, right? So yeah. did we. But actually, yeah. what happened in the first six months? That sector was so busy. Yeah. Dealing with crisis. Yeah. That hiring managers had no time to hire, uh. and so we actually that was. One of the businesses that we we found relatively got hammered, um, but will it come? But it's it, coming back now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, just... so if I look at the region, uh, I think it's important to say Hong Kong, where we got an office. Uh, even before COVID, they had their local difficulties, the protests, mm-hmm. the riots, yeah, tough, everything. Tough. So our Q one last year mm. was a nightmare for them. Mm. You know that literally the handbrake came on there. Mm. Then they were the first into COVID. Um, but year on year now, um, I think the bottom line is we're we're hiring and we're growing. Um, and going back to your question, uh, I, I think my responsibility is as as the, the person. I think players win matches, managers lose matches. <laughs> so my responsibility as the MD is to just make sure that we're agile mm-hmm. and we're working out to cope with things that we probably haven't seen before. So, for example, this is the first quarter in our financial year where we haven't had COVID. Okay, mm-hmm. so we, we know we can work from home successfully. Mm-hmm. Do people want to? Absolutely not. We know that we can split the office, that all those types of things. We know that we can continue to trade and bring value to our clients and offer great careers to people. And we know that um, when the handbrake comes on, we're not sentimental and we can act and, and do things properly. So I think mm-hmm. my, my, my big challenge is just to make sure that we're uh, applying our talented people and resources into those underbroked, over-demanded markets that are always out there. So if I look at, you know, um, one of our brands um, in the region did really well this year, you know, uh, beat their budget, beat their target. Which one? In, uh, LVI. 
as an example, yeah? Okay. Um, oh, LVI was the... Which cl- clean Energy and Infrastructure. Clean Energy and Infrastructure. You know, okay. yep. uh, very well re- led by two talented people. They came out from London a while ago. You have to mention their names now. Uh, Tom ones. and Kayleigh. Tom, Tom and Kayleigh, okay. And Kayleigh Reagan, yeah? Uh, really well... Uh, well done, Tom and Kayleigh. Well yeah, done. fantastic, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think for the industry, that just gives me hope because I love this industry. Yeah, it's you know, exciting, isn't it? Uh, it is exciting, but, mm. you know, there is opportunity always out mm. there. So and Not so it, traditional markets. Yeah, yeah you know, so you know, we, we placed candidates in 17 countries in Asia this year. Wow. Um, you know, we have 15 different languages. I mean, I, I sit out there and, you know, people are talking all day. Sometimes they even speak in English. Yeah. And I might know, you know, they could be talking to their mums for all I know in LVI, but it seems to be working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, look, my challenge is just make sure that um, we, first of all, we're, we're working the right markets where regardless of the economy, people need that business critical talent for their businesses yeah. to, to grow. Second to that is making sure that our people are happy in their welfare and uh, they can see a career path and career plan. Uh, my, my mantra is I want people at all times to know what their next two promotions are mm. and how, how, how they can get there. And that's not just about their target. That's about their behaviors, their performance, yeah. their training, yeah. their blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then probably the third thing is just to make sure that um, people remind themselves that the reason they joined this company was for growth, career opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and that might be international still. relocations. Mm. You know all mm. that type of stuff. So, yeah, I think that I think that's where my head is for the for the next twelve months. Exciting. Uh, yeah, but also just you know something's bound to go wrong, isn't it? You know we've had that this year. I think we've all. I've no, been, yeah. I think I think we're done with the with the with the bad year. I yeah. think it's only it's onwards and upwards. But I also think it's about positive thinking. Yeah. Right? As you said, there are there are markets that you guys did make money, and I think any business has to look at what are the positives. I mean, I. I Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, but I'm going to do a rapid fire round now because okay. we're getting to the end of it and this is really rapid. So okay. this is just off the cuff. So what podcast or book are you reading right now? Paul Noble, you Learning it? Mandarin. Paul? Noble's podcast, Learning Mandarin. I'm on chapter 88. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like it. Do you have any regrets when you look back on your career? Uh, yeah. Um, not owning P&Ls when I've done uh, corporate jobs where you've got influence and not authority. Uh, it's incredibly stressful and draining because you can't just just do it. So that's that one. And then probably the other thing is staying in jobs a couple of years too long, being too loyal, mm. actually. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's a whole podcast on its own. What one piece of advice would you give an aspiring recruiter looking to jump on the path of leadership? Uh, learn how to demonstrate that you put your direct reports first. Look after them. Mm-hmm. Watch their backs. Mm-hmm. get a reputation for being someone who will champion them, not themselves. Mm, like it. Thank you very much for today. I thank appreciate you. it. Um, thank you for your time and being a guest on the show. And I really appreciate it. If you'd like to get in contact with Andrew McNeilis at Faden, then please check out the notes on this episode where his contact details will be found and details of anyone mentioned on the show, um, dead or alive. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, don't be stingy. Share it with as many people as you can. Rate it, review it and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, our company website, The Career Establishment, where we have a um, soon to be newly launched podcast page and LinkedIn. And thanks for listening and be safe out there. 
You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. 